0: Into the book of Exodus once again. Exodus, the 25th chapter. Beginning with verse 23. Exodus 25, verse 23. Tonight we will teach you on the table of showbread. Exodus 25, beginning with verse 23. Thou shalt also make a table of shidom wood, two cubits shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof, and a cubit, and a half the height thereof. Thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, and make thereto a crown of gold round about. Let's pray. Father, we come before You right now. We ask Your blessing to be upon the reading of Your Holy Word. We thank You for Your inspiration tonight. We thank You for the anointing that is already upon Your words. Thank You for Your presence that is in this house not only in your people, but surrounding your people. We thank you for providing a table for us, Lord, in the presence of our enemies. We thank you, Lord, that you are the true bread to us, and we give all the glory and the honor and the praise to you tonight for this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Okay, the table of showbread. Back up just a little bit on this particular. Alright, this is the holy place right here. This is the door, of course, of, to the tabernacle itself, upheld by those five pillars. You walk into the tabernacle in this 10 by 20 area. 10 cubic by 20 cubits. Area, 2,000 total cubits. 10 wide, 10 high, 20 long. Total of 2,000 cubits. Speaks of the church age. So this is what God is doing in His church. This is important for you to get that. This is what God is doing in His church. Again, 10 wide, 10 high by 20 long. That's 2,000 cubits. 2,000 year church age. This is the furniture in the holy place. The table of showbread, the northern side of the tabernacle. Now, of course, this is the south to us. We've got it flipped because this faced toward the east, okay? So this would have been on the north side of the tabernacle. Table of showbread, which we will teach you tonight. And then the menorah on the southern side of the tabernacle. And in front of the veil itself is the altar of incense. So this is the furniture that is in the holy place, as I said, representing the church age. But we're going to focus tonight on that table of showbread, or table of shoebread. This is some of the the bowls, the cups that hold the incense, the frankincense, the bowls that hold the wine, and some of the bowls that hold the bread as well. Now that is a picture of the table of showbread. Now you'll notice over here, if you can see it from there or you can see it from here, it's a little bit different in this picture. We'll try to explain this to you. But anyway, this is the table of showbread right here. Let me finish reading the Scriptures to you. In Exodus chapter 25, beginning with verse 23. Thou shalt also make a table of shittim wood. So we find out here that this table, by the way, this is the first time table is mentioned in the Scripture. So anytime you have a word or a subject mentioned for the first time in Scripture, it's very important for you because it interprets for you uh, the table in the future. So first mention of the table is in Exodus twenty-five, twenty-three. the table of the Lord. Now this table is made out of shittim wood. The Septuagint says that that's the incorruptible wood, and that speaks of the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is a table of shittim wood. It is two cubits in length, two cubits in length. So that has to do with the size this way. Two cubits in length. It's about three foot okay, long. And then it says it's a cubit wide, so it's about 18 inches wide. And then it's a cubit and a half high. So that's about 27 inches high. So it's not a very large table at all. okay. Made out of shodim wood. We have the dimensions of the table here. Verse 24, it says, Thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. One translation, or a more accurate translation, is shimmering gold. So this is going to be a very shiny gold. You'll see that in the pictures as we look at those pictures later on. A shimmering gold, not a dull gold, but a very bright, brilliant gold. Okay, so they're going to overlay this shadow wood with pure gold and make thereto a crown of gold round about. So at the top of this table of showbread, as you can see right here, the wood is not seen. The gold that overlays it's seen. And then you have the crown on the top right here. Okay. Thou shalt overlay it with pure gold and make thereto a crown of gold round about. So we have a diadem here, a crown. Verse 25, Thou shalt make unto it a border of a handbreadth round about and thou shalt make a golden crown to the border thereof round about. Now this is interesting because you can't see it in the picture. But if we interpret it correctly you've got two crowns. This just shows one crown. So this is really not the best picture. But this table actually had two crowns. So you had one crown on the inside and then a hand breadth separated that inside crown and then on the outer edge of the table you had another crown. So about separating about four inches or so between the crowns, you had two crowns on that table. Okay? Then the Bible says in verse 26, Thou shalt make for it four rings of gold and put the rings in the four corners that are on the four feet thereof. Alright? So you can see these rings of gold attached to the legs. Of course, that's for the staves so that they could carry, carry it. Over here you can see it. Four rings here. Okay? All right, 26, thou shalt make for it four rings of gold and put the, put the rings in the four corners that are on the four feet thereof over against the border shall the rings be for places of the staves to bear the table. Okay, so the priests could carry the table as they went through the wilderness. Verse 28, thou shalt make the staves of shite and wood. Once again speaks of the humanity of Jesus. and overlay them with gold, speaks of the deity of Jesus, that He's both God and man, that the table may be born with them. So those saves are going to run through those rings and they can carry that table through the wilderness. Verse 29, Thou shalt make the dishes thereof, and spoons thereof, and covers thereof, And bowls thereof to cover with all of pure gold shalt thou make them. Thou shalt set them upon the table. Uh, Thou shalt set upon the table showbread before me always. Let's back up to verse 29. He gives us the dishes, etc., that are associated with this table. Thou shalt make the dishes thereof, and spoons thereof, and covers thereof. Now that word cover, that's interesting. It says, Thou shalt make covers thereof, and bowls thereof, to cover with all. Of pure gold shalt thou make them. So these are solid gold. Uh, Let me read to you the Septuagint translation. I know this is kind of boring at the beginning for you, but just hang in there with me. Okay, Exodus 25, 29, and this is the Septuagint now. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. So I need to read this to you so you'll see the difference. Okay, verse 29, follow along in your Bible, King James Version, and listen to what the Septuagint says. Thou shalt make its dishes and its censers. What does yours say? Spoons. Okay. So the Septuagint says, you're going to make dishes and censers. Say censers. And that's interesting. Because if it's a censer, then we have incense being offered up at the table. All right and its bowls... What does your Bible say? Covers? Okay. And its bowls... and its cups... Ah, interesting. So we have bowls and cups with which thou shalt offer drink offerings. You don't have that in the King James. But we have here bowls and cups. It says that with those... Thou shalt offer drink offerings of pure gold shalt thou make them. So the table, they had drink offerings that they poured out in the holy place. Okay, so, it's an interesting translation, isn't it? So they would actually pour a libation out at the table. Numbers 28 verse 7 A libation is a drink offering. Now, they could not pour that drink offering on the altar of incense. And so, Numbers 28 verse 7 says, the drink offering thereof shall be the fourth part of a hen for the one lamb. In the holy place shalt thou cause the strong wine to be poured unto the Lord. So they didn't drink it, the strong wine, they poured that out uh, unto the Lord right there by the table in the holy place. As a libation offering unto God. Okay. So I'll read again. The drink offering thereof shall be the fourth part of a hen for the one lamb. In the holy place shalt thou cause the strong wine to be poured unto the Lord for a drink offering. Right there in the holy place where it's poured out. Okay. So the Septuagint makes mention of that, that that wine was poured out and mentions the cups or the dishes, etc., that held that. Okay, let's go through some pictures here. Particularly this one here. Now, you keep this in mind. Um, You'll notice in the King James Version, there's a word mentioned, it says covers. Okay, So 29, it says, Thou shalt make the dishes thereof, and spoons thereof, and covers thereof. Now, the covers thereof sometimes may be overlooked. Don't really totally understand what that is, other than the fact that the Hebrewists say this is the covers. These tubes that are on the side of the table are covering the bread. Alright? So it looks different here, doesn't it? Now that's not to say this is exactly how it looked. That, you know they're trying to estimate what the appearance would be, but they are saying the Hebrewists are saying that these are the covers, these two black structures that are on the side of the bread that is holding up these six loaves on each side. Okay, you'll have the same thing on the other side, and underneath you have these little tubes that hold the bread off of each other. They say to keep the mold out. So that's the way the Hebrewists look at the table of showbread. You see that? Okay, let's go ahead. Do you have animation on this? i will go to the next one. Okay, next. All right. You shall make a table of shite and wood, two cubits its length, a cubit, now I'm changing the word here, but that's what it means. A cubit is the width. So 18 inches or so is the width. Uh, two cubits, the length, so we've got 18 inches by 3 feet. Alright, if you want to, you can do a rotation on it. Okay, he's going to give you the dimensions here. Okay. Okay. Alright, let's go to the next picture. Alright, now you can, some of you can see it up here if you need to. If you can't see it very well there, you can see it here. Alright, same thing. Okay, go ahead and give me, yeah, give me the animation. You see how the shot in wood is overlaid with gold in the animation. Okay, let's go to the next. You shall make for it a frame of one. Let's see, we're at 25, 25. Thou shalt make unto it a border. This translation calls it a frame of a handbreadth round about and thou shalt make a golden crown to the border thereof round about. Okay, so this is the way they're depicting the frame or the border. And the Hebrewists are not even sure as to how this was placed. They're not sure if it was placed underneath or if it was placed up on the top. So we'll go to an alternate... Version here. Okay, this is an alternate opinion. Instead of pla- placing the border down underneath the table like this, they give us an alternate view where we have it at the top. So that the six loaves on either side was placed in that box right there. Okay, all right, let's go into the next. This is a breakdown of the rings. The Hebrewists say that the rings had these pins in them and they went into the legs, or right there. And We got an alternate view on this as well as to exactly where the pins were. Let's look at the alternate, maybe the next picture. Okay, alternate opinion, we have it here. Okay, go back to image one. Have it here. Again, alternate. See, a little higher here. Anyway, the rings shall be opposite the frame for housing for staves to carry the table. All right, let's go on. All right, we have the staves here. You shall make the staves of shadow would we'll cover them with gold. The table shall be carried through them. So, the anim- animation of the, the staves. It slid into those rings so they could carry that table. Okay. Go back to, and you have two images here. This is the shadow wood and then the gold. Shaddam wood or gold. Now it's overlaid, alright? Go to the next picture, please. Okay, now, Exodus 25. 29, in this translation, you shall make its dishes and its spoons and its tubes and its supports. Where yours, King James says, covers. It's tubes, it supports, with which it shall be what? Covered. So here we have a little bit different translation. It says there's tubes and supports, which are the covers. King James uh, Version says covers. doesn't say anything about the tubes or the supports. But in this translation, we have the tubes and the supports, which are called the covers. You can see it's a very elaborate system. Can you all see that all right? Okay, so you have six loaves of bread on each side, a total of twelve. Here's the support system on either side. To hold those loaves up. And these are the little tubes that go underneath the bread going crossways. Okay? They say, as I said, to keep it from molding. Alright? So we have supports. We have tubes. We have dishes. We have spoons. The spoons, Septuagint says, is for... Incense could be for frankincense. All right, let's go on to the next picture. This is an alternate, alternate uh, picture. Okay. So what I'm trying to show you is that they they're not sure exactly how the table looked and what the support system looked like. So even the Hebrews have an alternate opinions as to the way, the way that worked. Okay. So let's go to, go back one, go back. Okay, okay, go forward. All right, this is the, on the table shall you place the bread of surfaces before me always, or King James Version, thou shalt set upon the table what? Shoe bread or show bread. Before me always. Now, this translation translated the bread of surfaces. This shoe bread or show bread can also be translated the bread of faces. Okay, say with me, the bread of faces. we lose it? Okay, the bread of faces can also be translated the bread of the presence. Bread of presence. So it speaks of the presence of God. So the bread of faces or the bread of presence. Showbread. Now the showbread in the King James is teaching us that it's showing us God. Okay? It's the bread of His presence. It's the bread of faces. So we'll try to get this back up and see uh, what we can do here. I don't know why we lost that. Alright, praise the Lord. So you kind of got a basic idea of it. We need this back up so I can show you the bread. What happened, guys? Okay, look at the bread here. The bread over here shows you different... As it's translated, the bread of surfaces, you can see it's got different surfaces, different appearances. Okay? This is a very unique bread. In, these, in this depiction by the Hebrewist. Alright, now again, I said there were six on each side. Okay, this is again located in the holy place, so this is dealing with the church. And this is God's table, it's not the church's table. This is God's table, it's really important for you to get, in the sense that God provided the table. The church didn't provide the table, God provided the table, so so it's His table, Okay? Alright, praise the Lord. Now what does the table of showbread speak of? The bread of faces, the bread of presence. What does it speak of? Well, before we get into that, let's go over here and talk about the bread itself. And that's found in Leviticus chapter 24. So we have a table, and then we have showbread on the table. Now please do your best tonight keep your kids quiet. We're dealing with very holy things. So there needs to be a lot of reverence in the house. Okay, just do your best. Okay, Leviticus 24. Alright, verse 1. This talks about the bread um, and who it's for. Now remember the holy place of the tabernacle is only for the priest. The Israelites who was not in the tribe of Levi, wasn't a priest, could not come into this part of the tabernacle. So it's only for the priest, and this showbread, the bread that's on it, is only to be eaten by the priest. So this is for the church, for people who are in the church only. And we're going to explain to you what this means. What is this showbread? What is it a picture of? If it's in the church... That means we partake of it today, but it's only for the church. It is not for anybody outside of the church. Only priests can partake of this. It's not for your friends. It's not for family members that are unconverted. It's not for the world, Lord. And in the New Testament, you are the priest of the Lord. Leviticus 24, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they bring unto thee pure oil of olive beaten for the light to cause the lamps to burn continually without the veil of testimony. Okay, let me jump down. Verse verse five. Alright, twenty four five. Leviticus twenty four five. Thou shalt take fine flowers, say fine flour. So it's not going to be coarse. It's not going to be rough, OK? Um, it's going to be very fine. In order for the flour to be fine, that means they've got the grain from the field and they've crushed the grain, OK? And they've crushed it into powder. Obviously, to get the grain, they had to throw up the, the grain into the air. And the grain was separated from the chaff by the wind. So that speaks of the Spirit of God operating in your life, separating the chaff that's in your life from the golden grain. So the first thing they would do is separate the chaff from the wheat. After that, then they would beat it. Okay. Now they all, and then they would grind it. These big old cartwheels, these oxen would turn these cartwheels on that grain and they would grind it. All right. So, when you get to this point in Leviticus, the flour that is going to make up the bread that's on the table is fine flour. It's not coarse. It's like powder. Okay? The Bible said now, praise the Lord, <laughs> this is all speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is speaking of the perfection of Christ. The perfection of Christ. There is no imperfection in Him. It's fine powder. All right? Interpret it this way. Even those people that were associated with Jesus in His life, like Pilate, says, I find no fault in Him. Amen. Okay? So the perfections of Christ is what this speaks of. So it's very, very fine flour. And then, okay, verse 5. Thou shalt take fine flour and bake twelve cakes thereof. 2 deal shall be in one cake. So you've got a double portion here. You've got two tenths deal, the Bible says is going to be used of this fine flour. You're going to bake twelve cakes thereof, two tenths deal shall be in one cake. So you have a double portion in each one of those cakes, two tenths deal. Now all of this, all these numbers are very significant. Thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row upon the pure table before the Lord. Alright, so what we have now is we have this fine flour that doesn't stay flour. You understand that? We have the fine flour, the perfections of Christ. We've already taught you if Jesus came into the world, and He did, and He lived a perfect life, and He did, that would leave us out of the presence of God. That would not save us. The perfection of Christ doesn't save us. It leaves you out of the presence of God. So this fine flour, it speaks of the perfection of Christ, has to be heated up in an oven. It has to be cooked. Alright? That speaks of Calvary. That speaks of the suffering that He went through. So they took the flour, they made it into dough, they took the dough, they made it into the cakes, they put the cakes into the oven, and they cooked it, alright? The heat of, if you will, of God's wrath on that fine flour, which is going to produce life, because this bread speaks of life. So his, his, not the perfections of Christ alone, but the perfections of Christ made into dough put in the oven of Calvary, dying for us, is what's going to produce life for, the, for us. All right. So anyway, I'm already giving you a little hint. This speaks of life. It speaks of life, okay? So He says you're going to set them six. There's two rows. Six on a row for a total of twelve. Twelve rows. One for each of the, tribe, the tribes of Israel. Twelve tribes of Israel... 12 loaves of bread. Okay? Now remember, what is the what is this the, bread called? Okay, it's called showbread, right? Or bread of what? Presence or bread of what? faces. So it's showbread. It's in the presence of God. Each one of these pieces of bread represent one of the tribes. Okay? It tells us verse 6, thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row upon the pure table. So now we find out something else about the table. It's called pure table. So this table is pure. This table is holy. It is partaken of by only holy priests who wear holy garments. Everything about the table is holiness. Like I said earlier, we are dealing with something that is very, very holy tonight. This is a type of a shadow, okay? So it's a pure table. It is a holy table. It is the table of the Lord. Scripture continues. It is before who? The bread is before who? The Lord. The Lord. So the bread of faces or the bread of, fa- uh, of uh, presence is before the Lord. That means that He's looking at the bread. Amen. That means the bread is for Him. Amen. Does that make sense? Amen. The bread is for Him, but there's 12 of them, and so it speaks of the 12 tribes of Israel. So if the bread is for Him, and those twelve loaves speaks of the twelve tribes of Israel, that means that that represents His people. Those twelve loaves represent His people who belong to Him, who have His eye, God's eye upon them. So you are God's people, you are one bread. The Bible says you are one bread, having been baptized into the body of Christ. If you're baptized by the Holy Ghost into the body of Christ, you have become one bread, and so you are on the table of showbread. God's got His eye on you. You are that bread that is on that table. Okay, does that make sense? So there's two aspects of that bread. Number one, it speaks of God. He's the true bread. speaks of Jesus Christ. Number two, it speaks of you, the church, as being the bread. So it's before the Lord. Can everybody hear me alright? Okay. Here's what's important as well. Every Sabbath, He shall set it in order. Uh, I'm going back up to verse 7. Thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. So maybe now, we can go over here and we can look. Alright, we got the bread here, six in a row. Now, go ahead and go forward. Let me see if I can show you a picture where they have they would place the, the uh frankincense. No, it's got to be forward. Maybe not in this one. Okay, in this particular aspect, it's not there. But what they would do is I have a book that also demonstrates this at home. They would place the frankincense on the top of that bread. That's the way they said it was done. They, they, uh, the frankincense was put inside of the little spoons, or, and then placed on the top of the bread. Very unique. Okay, this depiction over here would have had it on the bread itself, sprinkled on the bread itself. I think. You see. Okay, so, so anyway, frankincense would be placed on on that bread, um, sweet to the no bitter to the taste, sweet to the inner man. I believe that's that's something we've been taught in search for truth. But anyway, okay. Every Sabbath, verse eight, he shall set it in order before the Lord. Say with me continually. That means that bread of presence, that bread of faces, the show bread, that table was to have bread on it always. There was never a time when that tabernacle was set up that there was not bread on that table. It was before the Lord. Say before the Lord, before the Lord. Continually. continually. Very important. But watch this. Verse 8, every Sabbath He shall set it. So once a week, right? the Sabbath day, He's going to set it in order before the Lord, continually being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. So this is a covenant meal. Who's it for? Verse 9, It shall be Aaron's and his sons. So this is the priest's bread. They shall eat it, in the holy place, for it is most holy unto him of the offerings of the Lord's... Oh, most holy. This is most holy unto God. And it's most holy unto the priest. It is most holy unto him of the offerings of the Lord made by fire by a per- perpetual statute. Okay? So the priest once a week would go and get the bread... And the way they say they got the bread was they would slide, take the bread off, or slide, I don't know exactly how they did it, but they take the bread off and then immediately in the place of the bread that they took off, they put the new bread. They put fresh bread once a week on that table. And that priest, as he took the old bread off, we call it the old bread, slid the new bread in, or the, or the fresh bread in, so that the bread was always on the table. Okay? And the priest would take the bread then on the Sabbath day, and he would eat that bread. So, this is the bread that is for the priest. He'd eat it once a week. Okay? So, the bread was changed once a week. Now, very interesting, isn't it? So, it is a covenant meal, and it's only for the priest. Okay, let's go back to Exodus. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stay stay in the subject. Okay, let's find out then who was not to eat this bread. Back up with me in the same book, Leviticus 21. I'll get into the types and the shadows in a little bit. Okay 22 and 10. so the bread was only for priests. Aaron and his sons, they ate of it once a week so it was constantly refreshed. fresh bread. Now there were some people that the Lord said cannot partake of this bread. Leviticus 22:10. If you're there say praise the Lord. Uh, There shall no stranger eat of the holy thing. So number one, the Bible says no stranger. You go to the New Testament, especially like in the book of Ephesians, you'll find out that the stranger, the unconverted man, is pictured as a stranger. So there is no unconverted person, man, woman, boy, or girl, no non-born-again person should ever take this bread. Okay, it's forbidden for the unconverted to take this bread. And then he goes on and he mentions somebody else. He says, A sojourner of the priest. A sojourner of the priest. Okay, so let's say we got somebody that comes over and uh, he's a friend of the priest and he's spending some time with the priest. Maybe he's staying in his house. And it comes time for the priest to go and remove the bread and refresh the bread and take that bread and eat that bread on the Sabbath day. Now, if he's got his friend with him, maybe stayed with him, he's a sojourner, okay, stranger that stayed with him, he is not to give that bread to his friend or a or somebody that has stayed with him, maybe through the week, maybe for a few days. Now, that would be a very difficult thing for human sentiment. Because let me put it to you this way, if you were over at my house for a week, you're my good friend, right? But you're not converted, you're not a believer. And it comes time as a priest to go and eat that bread on the Sabbath day. Then I would have to look at you as my friend, and I would have to say to you, you're my friend, but at this point, you cannot go in with me into the holy place and you cannot eat that bread. From a human level, on a human level, that might be hard to do because you might want to be sentimental to your friends. You understand what I'm trying to say to you tonight? Okay. But we have to be real careful. Now, Lord, help me tonight to get something inside of you. Something. Something you have to be very careful not to let human sentimentality get a hold of you when it comes to the things of God. we got too many people that are too sentimental when it comes to their buddies, their friends, their family members. These friends and family members, etc., that are unconverted cannot take this bread of the Lord. And He, remember whose table is it? It's not your pastor's table. It's not your table. For example, we take the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. Whose Supper is it? It's the Lord's Supper. It's not the pastor's Supper. It's not the church's Supper. It's the Lord's Supper and it's only to be eaten by those who are baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. Only the converted person is to take the Lord's Supper. Alright? So let's say you come to church one night, one day, whenever we're taking the Lord's Supper, you bring a friend with you or you bring a family member with you, you know they're your guest, and you don't want to offend them. So when the Lord's Supper is being distributed, you invite them to go with you to take the Lord's Supper because they're your friend or your family member and because you're sentimental and you don't want to hurt their feelings. It's not your table. It's God's table, and God has a right to rule over His table. In fact, He does rule over His table. He governs His table, and He says who can take that ta- of that table and who cannot take of that table. And if you let being sentimental toward your friend or a family member override that... You're moving toward apostasy. So the reason why there's so much apostasy in the church is because we have too much sentimental people. Okay? They don't want to offend a family member or a friend, so they let them come up and take the Lord's Supper or whatever. Amen. But it's God's table. He says who can take it and who can't. The unconverted, the stranger cannot take it. Or the or of the priest, somebody that's stayed with you all weeks, a good friend or a family member. They, When it comes to church and taking the Lord's Supper, they are not invited to take it until they become converted. Once they get born again, yeah, no problem. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? Now, I'm going to just throw this in America, the American church is full of sentimentalism. It is sentimental, you know. I drove by somebody I know's house the other day, because you know the truth about this, and we know the truth about this, but they might, I think they know the truth, but they're not going to follow the truth. But for example, when it comes to Christmas, Christmas is not a Christian holiday. Christmas is pagan to the core. And they've just put the name of Jesus on it. Has nothing to do with the birth of Christ. Has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. It is a pagan festival to worship the sun god. I'm drove by somebody's house that I know. Not in the church. not in. Don't get upset. Don't get uptight. And they had a five foot manger scene in their front yard. And because I know this person, I know how they think. They're going to have a cake on Christmas and they're going to sing happy birthday to Jesus. They're just sentimental, man, okay? And I know how they think. I know when they set up their little manger scene in their front yard, you know, they're trying to honor Jesus Christ and glorify Jesus Christ by putting this manger scene out in their front yard. And when I drove by the other day, this before I even started studying for this message, I thought to myself, that person just sentimental. I know the way they think. You know? And they think they're doing a good thing and they think they're honoring the Lord. But I've already showed you by the prophets, God has forbidden you. Forbidden you. It's not a non-moral question thing, but God has forbidden you to partake of the festival of the sun god. He has forbidden you to mix the things of God with the sun god and partake of His table. And I thought to myself, "They're, they're just sentimental people. America is so full of sentimentalism that has plunged the church into apostasy. Now, some of you today may question what I just said. Find out for yourself. Study the background of Christmas for yourself. All I'm trying to tell you, and I'm not trying to turn this into a message on Christmas, I'm trying to tell you that the church, because of its sentimental, being sentimental, has moved into apostasy. And if we're not careful as the people of God, we'll become so sentimental toward our family members that just because they're our family members, we look at them as believers. (laughs) Or we treat them as a believer. They could be Satan worshipers, but they're a Christian. The sentimentalism of the church is casting the church into apostasy. I know you may not like what I'm saying, but I guarantee you that you can't disprove what I just said. And I can promise you, I can prove what I said. Amen. And you know it. Amen. So he says to the priest, You know, you got somebody that's staying with you, good friend, family member, whatever. They can't take of that holy bread. Okay? For, our, and for our understanding, they can't take the Lord's Supper. What Lord, are you baptized to do the same? You have the Holy Ghost? No, I'm sorry, you can't take the supper. Amen? Amen. Now, then he goes on in number three, he mentions another person who can't take the supper or the bread. He says, Or a hired servant shall not eat of the holy thing. A hired servant. So what we have here is a picture of somebody who thinks that by taking that bread at the table of the Lord, that taking that bread when they eat it becomes salvation unto them. By ingesting the bread, just by taking the bread itself, that work, they look at it as saving them. I'm so glad I wasn't raised in that particular persuasion of faith. But there's some of you here today We were raising that, and and they taught you that the bread turned into the body of Christ. It really was the body of Christ. And that that wine turned into His blood. And you were literally eating His, His body and His blood when you took it in your mouth. And they told you that it was equal to salvation. The Bible says here that a hired servant cannot take the bread. Anybody that thinks that taking that bread itself is producing salvation, that that work is producing salvation, God says it is off limits to you, okay? Because you don't work for your salvation. That that bread doesn't turn into Jesus Christ. It's a symbol of, of Christ, okay? It's an emblem of His body. An emblem of His blood. But it's not His body. You're not a cannibal. Alright, so hired servant cannot take it. Now, let's go over and look. Uh, 22 and verse 4, we have somebody else that can't take it. Now, this is interesting. Because when I read to you verse 4, we find out that this person is a priest. So there's no doubt about their Conversion. They are priests unto the Lord. Now carried over into the New Testament, the fulfillment of the type. I'm speaking now of a believer that's in the church that is a priest. Okay, a man, okay, what man, soever of the seed of Aaron. All right, so he is, yeah, he's the seed of Aaron. He, he can eat of that table, rightfully, he can eat at that table because he's the seed of Aaron. He's a priest, okay? You with me? Amen. But if he is a leper, are y'all looking at it with me? Leviticus 22 4. What mansoever the seed of Aaron is a leper or hath a running issue, he shall not eat of the holy things until he be clean. And whoso toucheth anything that is unclean by the dead, or a man whose seed goeth from him with that? So, so we have somebody that's definitely a priest, but there's a problem with him. He's a leper. And leprosy speaks of sin in him. He's got a running issue. So his leprosy and his running issue puts him in a position of being defiled. Even though he's a priest, he is defiled. What this teaches you then is that you may be a born again believer baptized in Jesus' name. You may be filled with the Holy Ghost. But if there's sin in your life, leprosy, a running issue, something that is defiling you, you're not right with God, you're disobedient to His word, there's sin in your life. The scripture is clear that you are not to be allowed to take the Lord's Supper. In Corinthians, First Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talks about it, he says, You better examine yourself. He said, you better judge yourself before you take of that supper. He said, because there's many people that are dead right now that took it unworthily. They were in the church. They were born again believers. They were priests. But when they took it, they took it unworthily. There was sin in their lives. And God says, many are asleep because of that. So we have clear instruction by the Word of the Lord that there are some people in the church that are... Not right with God, they are to be told you cannot take the supper until you get clean. Until you repent of that sin. Until you get rid of that defilement in your life, and God wants you to. God wants you to repent. God wants you to be cleansed, alright? God, God wants you to get right with Him, but until you do, the Lord's supper is off limits to you. Make sense? Okay, so he says until you be clean. Now there's a difference between defilement and weakness. All right, let's look at a weakness. Uh, verse eighteen, Leviticus twenty one eighteen. Okay, you there? Twenty one eighteen. For whatsoever man he be that hath a blemish, he shall not approach a blind man or a lame or he that hath a flat nose or anything superfluous. And I love this stuff. <laughs> I've taught all these things to you before I'd explained what every one of them means to you spiritually. I don't have time for that tonight. I know you. Uh, some of you, go ahead. No, I don't have time for it tonight. But anyway, we got to let's just touch this one. The blind man, the lame man. Right? So we have a weakness in the man. He can't see very well. We have a weakness in the man. He can't walk very well. He can't keep up with the camp. As the camp moves, he's struggling to keep up. So his sight is affected and his walk is affected. But this is weakness. But look at what God says about the man. Verse 22. He shall eat the bread of his gods. Oh, wow. Both of the most holy and of the holy. God says that the blind man that's a priest and the lame man that's a priest can eat the bread. Because there's a big difference between being defiled by sin and being weak. Weak in your sight. You don't see things clearly. Okay? Uh, You're limited in your understanding. Just because you're limited in your understanding as a believer does not bar you from taking the Lord's Supper. Amen? Maybe you're weak in your walk. You can't keep up. But God says that's not going to keep you, that weakness is not going to keep you from taking the Lord's Supper. So a lot of times we take the Lord's Supper and I'm bringing it over and I'm applying the word here. The bread. Okay. Praise the Lord. Sometimes you come in here we take the Lord's Supper. and A lot of you, I, I better not take the Lord's Supper. Well, if it's because of sin, then repent and get it under the blood. I've told you that before. And then take the Lord's Supper. But if it's just because you don't understand really clearly you are weak in your walk, that is not leaving you out from taking the Lord's Supper. In fact, the way I look at it sometimes and most of the time, if I have anybody in the church that's a priest and they don't take the Lord's Supper it creates a big problem for me. You know why? Because that tells me the person refuses to repent. Now if you refuse to repent, then you can't take the supper. But the only reason why a priest of God a believer should not take the Lord's Supper is if they haven't repented of sin. Some people don't take the Lord's Supper because they don't repent of sin and some people don't take it because they think, well, I've been weak and I don't understand right now. So I'm just going to take the supper. You're not left out. Just repent. Put your sin under the blood of Jesus Christ. It's His table. He's got things that He rules it by and He governs it by. Can everybody hear me? Are we doing okay back there? Is it? Okay. No, we've tried that before. I'll try anything. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Okay, everybody understand? So you get ready to take the Lord's Supper then. Put your sin under the blood. Repent. And I'm not just saying get up there and say, okay, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Go back to it tomorrow. I'm not genuinely repent and forsake the sin. And once you've done that, take the Lord's Supper. Take the bread. Okay? If you're weak as a believer, and you look at yourself as weak as a believer, take the Lord's Supper. It... Um, does not leave you out. Alright, so we found out who cannot take the supper and we also found out who who it's for. It's for the priest, correct? Say amen. Amen. Okay, so God is good. Now, let's go over to Numbers. I'm trying to cover the Old Testament Scriptures. In Numbers chapter 4, we'll go over to the New Testament in just a moment. Okay, Numbers chapter 4. Now remember these staves right here, they they carried the table of showbread through the wilderness. What did David say in Psalm Psalm 24? Okay, go to Numbers 4. Keep your place there. Psalm 24. So you can't be sentimental when it comes to the holy things of God. You have got to, uh, and I have to as well, abide by the Word of God, not by human sentimentality. Okay, uh, twenty-three. Psalm 23.5 23, David said, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The table he has in mind is this table but this is the type only, okay? (laughs) Prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Now let's go to Numbers 4. 7. And upon the table of showbread, they shall spread a cloth of blues. Alright, now they're getting ready to transport it through the wilderness, okay? And... um, He said, You're going to take it, you're going to cover it with blue, which speaks of what? Jesus is the Lord of heaven. He's God. So they've got the blue covering it. And then, after they put the blue, they put the vessels. All right. On top of that blue cloth. Verse 7 upon the table to show bread, they shall spread a cloth of brew, uh, blue and put thereon the dishes and the spoons and the bowls and covers to cover with all. And then the continual bread shall be thereon. So now that's interesting to me. What you have is the blue cloth on the table. Then you have the utensils, the bowls, the spoons, etc. The way it sounds to me like it says you've got bread as well laying on top of that blue cloth. Now, now I'm not 100% sure about this, but i am if I read the Scripture correctly, it sounds to me like there's bread on there. So it would be a miracle as they're traveling through the wilderness that that bread stays good. I mean, God's making the bread good. It says, so we have bread there, got the blue on the table, we have the, the spoons and dishes, etc., and then the bread is there. At least that's the way it sounds to me. Okay, so then after that, they cover that with a scarlet cloth which speaks of Jesus and His sacrificial death for us. And then on top of that, they have the badger skin which speaks of Jesus Christ that there was no beauty in Him. No beauty to the natural man. No beauty to the natural man that they would desire Him. To the natural man. You and me. So we got the blue on the table. We got the cups, bowls, etc. Sounds to me like bread. I'm not sure. Then the scarlet cloth speaks of his sacrifice, and then on top of that, the badger skin speaks of there's no beauty in him for the natural man. Now here's what I want to tell you. As they begin to travel, <clears throat> well, let me read it to you so you'll you'll follow me. Verse eight. They shall spread upon them a cloth of scarlet cover the same with the covering of badger skin and shall put in staves thereof. Amen. Alright, so that and they're ready to travel with it now. And they're going to carry it through the wilderness so that God is literally preparing for them a table in the wilderness. And it's speaking of His presence with them. It's speaking to them of His life because bread speaks of life. So that on this table... As they go through the wilderness, God is saying, My life is with you in the wilderness. It speaks of healing. Healing is the children's bread. So as they're traveling through the wilderness, God is saying, I'm with you. My presence is with you. The bread of presence. He's going with them. He's providing life for them. He's providing healing for them. He's providing health for them. He's in fellowship with them. He's in communion with them. There's a relationship. So as they go through the wilderness, He is all of that to those people in the wilderness. And that's what He is for us down here on this earth. As we travel through the wilderness of this world, He is our life, our healing, our health, our fellowship, our communion. Okay. Now what is interesting is that remember that table of showbread? had this crown around it. And it held those twelve loaves in place. And I told you that this bread represents the twelve tribes of Israel. It speaks of you, the believer. So we are seen being held on that table. According to the Scripture, there was two crowns. One and then a hand's breadth, fivefold ministry, separating that and the other crown on the outside. We are kept by the power of God, Jude 24, by his nail scarred hand. So there's a hand breadth between the crowns. Does that make sense? So what we see then is the believer has life, healing, health, fellowship with the Lord, but we are held in place and held in order as we go through the wilderness. And when we would stumble on our way to heaven, it's God that's holding us up. It's God, it's God that's keeping us from falling. Okay? So we see the picture then. They're carrying this table. David said, thou prepares a table for me in the world, in, in the presence of my enemies. So it's in the wilderness. And it's God's provision for them in that place. And he's upholding us in this wilderness. Look at Jude 23. Jude 23 and 24. Others say with fear, pulling him out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh, Now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Savior be glory, that's the gold on the table, and majesty, that's the gold, dominion and power both now and ever. Does that make sense to you? That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Here's what I want to do. We've looked at the breads and we've looked at the wine that was poured at the foot of the table. Let me go back and let me break down the top and the shadow of the table itself once again so I'll make sure I get all that covered. And then I'll go into the New Testament. It's a table of what? Showbread. Okay, that shall make a table of shadow and wood speaks of the sinless humanity of Jesus Christ. Two cubits shall be the length thereof, of it's incorruptible wood. Now you need to understand that because when you get into that holy place, you're speaking of the church age. So Jesus has already died, been buried, and risen from the dead. So this table in the holy place speaks of the risen Lord. Say the risen Lord. You are on resurrection grounds when you speak of this table. It's the risen Lord Jesus in the midst of His church. Does that make sense? So the wood speaks of His incorruptible humanity, which means when He died, His body saw no corruption. His body did not decay. It was resurrected by the power of God before His body started decaying. Do you understand that? So that's why this wood, shadow wood, is also called the Septuagint the incorruptible wood. Sinless humanity of Jesus Christ and it saw no decay when they put Him in the tomb. He rose from the dead. So this table speaks of resurrection ground for the church. Two cubits shall be the length thereof, a cubit the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. Thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, the deity of Christ and make there into a crown of gold round about. Now, in verse 25, he talks about another crown. So there's two crowns. Mm. These crowns are holding the bread in place so they won't slide off, alright? Because there's two crowns that speaks of, again, resurrection ground. What kind of priest is in the church? We are kings and priests unto God. It's a dual crown. You are a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, listen carefully. It's not easy to explain the Bible, it's very difficult to explain the Bible. But you remember when Melchizedek came forth, what did he have in his hand in the book of Genesis in the 14th chapter? When Abraham met him in the way, what did he have in his hand? He had what? Bread and wine. Melchizedek was the priest of the Most High God. He was king of Salem, king of Jerusalem. He was not only a king, but he was a priest. The Bible says the Most High God. So Melchizedek was a king priest. The Levitical priesthood was only a priesthood. But Melchizedek before the Levitical priesthood was a king priest. In one. It's a picture of the priesthood of Jesus. In the earthly walk of Jesus, He fulfilled the Levitical priesthood. When He rose from the dead, remember we're on resurrection ground, He's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. That means that He is a king priest. You with me? Not just a priest, but a king priest. A royal priest. And are you in the, you're a royal priest and a holy nation. So now, after the resurrection of Jesus, what do you have? The table. The emblems of his finished work that was in the hand of the king priest Melchizedek was bread and what? Wine. Resurrection ground, when you look at this table, what was on that table? Bread and wine. Two crowns. Priest, king. The priest-king ministry. And we are going forth as a people declaring the finished work of Jesus. He's already finished the work. And we have the emblems of that finished work, which is the bread which represents His body and the wine which represents His blood. Those emblems declare that Jesus died shed His blood, rose again the third day. Are you here with me? That's where you are. You are a king priest ministry and you're going to the world with bread and wine in your hands and you're saying, it's finished. It's complete. It's the finished work of Jesus Christ. Okay? Does that make sense to you? So that's why we have here two crowns and we have bread and wine on the table. But it takes the golden candlestick on the southern side of the tabernacle to cast light back onto the table so you can have illumination as to what that table means. If you didn't have the golden candlestick or the menorah on the southern side of the tabernacle, you would not have illumination for the table. We'll get into that, Lord willing, next week. But that light cast. It shines on the table. It illuminates the meaning of the table. So that's where we are today. We are focusing on the bread and the wine. The body and blood of Jesus Christ. The emblems of a finished work that has already been done. And we're on resurrection ground. You're a Melchizedek priesthood. That's why there's two crowns around that table. Does that make sense to you? And when you take the Lord's Supper, what are you saying? You're remembering what He did for you. It's finished. It's done. It's complete. So we're remembering what He did for us. The bread and the fruit of the vine. You with me so far? Okay, I'm going to do my best tonight. He goes on and He says this. Not only do we have two crowns here. Verse 26, Thou shalt make for it four rings of gold. Say four rings of gold. A ring is unending. Amen. Say unending. unending. So this speaks of the eternality of Jesus Christ. That He's not just a man, the would, but He's God, the eternal God, without beginning or ending of days. Say praise the Lord. He's the rings, alright? Four of them in number. Wow, God is good, isn't He? Four of them. It speaks to this message of the finished work, the bread and the wine. Speaking of the finished work of Jesus Christ for us is for every direction, the four directions of the world. This Gospel is to preach, be preached to the whole world. So you've got four rings and it is to be carried everywhere. Amen. amen, amen. It is to be carried in the wilderness. It is to be carried in this world. You are a king priest ministry? Listen to me. God looks at you when you come to church. He looks at the bread. You're the bread. He sees you. Okay? So, we have the priest presenting bread as they receive bread. On the Sabbath day, they're receiving the bread and replacing the bread with new bread. So they're giving bread and receiving bread. Does it make sense? So when you come to the presence of God, can you hear me? You are standing there in the presence of God and you are presenting to God the finished work of His Son on your behalf. Presenting the bread because Jesus is the bread. He is our life. So you stand in the presence of God and you present to God the finished work of His Son, His humanity. Does that make sense? At the same time you present to God the finished work as you stand in His presence, you are receiving from God the bread of life at the same time. So you're presenting bread and receiving bread at the same time when you come to church. Does that make sense to you? If it does say praise the Lord. Now if it is correct that the spoons held incense according to the Septuagint. That means that these priests, as they were partaking of the bread, Amen. Once a week, and then replacing the bread, as they were eating it, they were offering incense unto God. Which is a picture of prayer and worship. So as you stand in the presence of God, on the merits of the finished work of Jesus Christ, you understand that? <laughs> How do you receive anything from God? Based on what Jesus Christ has done for you. You're presenting that to the eternal spirit of God. Does that make sense? And you're receiving from Him. But at the same time, you're partaking of that table, fellowship and communion, life and healing and health. And the other thing the table speaks of, you are offering incense. You're offering prayer and praise and worship unto God. Now, yeah. I don't have time tonight, but if you look in the Chronicles, when Solomon set up the table in the temple, there were 10 of them. 10 times 12 is 120. There were about 120 on the day of Pentecost. So this shows you the 120 in Solomon's temple that are in the church, the 120 believers that were filled with the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost is also seen in that table. But here's what I want you to see. In the temple of Solomon, it was the singers that prepared the table. Because God loves worship and He loves singing to go up in His house. So as you stand in the presence of God, on the merits of the finished work of Jesus Christ, you present to that, to the eternal Spirit. You're receiving from God that bread, that life, that health, that healing, that fellowship, that relationship. You're offering incense, which is prayer and praise. And you're singing and you're praising God at that table. And it is the table of the Lord. It's the Lord's table of the Lord that He has given us. Does that make sense? Those four rings, we are to carry this gospel message to everybody. To let everybody know that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again from the dead. We have the emblems of the finished work, the bread and the wine. Does that make sense to you? So put the four rings on there. They are for the staves to carry that table to the world. Four directions north, south, east, west, four rings, two staves, to carry that table. Does it make sense? Amen. Thou shalt make the staves of wood overlay them with gold, the table may be born with them. This is on the priest's shoulders again. You are a priest, you are to carry this to the world and offer it to them. Tell them they can be a part of the priesthood. They can be born again of the water and the spirit, based on the finished work of Calvary, resurrection ground. Thou shalt make the dishes thereof, the spoons thereof, the covers thereof, the bowls thereof to cover withal of pure gold. Shalt thou make them? So it wasn't just bread at the table. There was wine on that table that was poured out before God. It speaks of His blood. Thou shalt be and uh, th- thou shalt set upon the table showbread. Before me always, that bread that was made out of that fine flour that was crushed, that was pounded, no coarseness in it, the perfections of Christ, taken, made into dough, made into loaves, then put in the oven and cooked and heated up. Calvary went through us. And then, this bread was pierced, they say. The bread was pierced. So when you look at that bread, You would see the piercings in that bread. It speaks of Jesus Christ. You see the burn marks on that bread. It speaks of the fiery judgment of God that He went through. It's pierced bread. It's burned bread. And you receive, when you receive that, you're receiving the life of God based on what He did for you by dying on that cross and being pierced for you. That bread was literally pierced. And that bread had... I can get the matzah. When we take the matzah in the Lord's Supper, you have burn marks in it. You have uh, brown marks where the, where the bread's cooked, and it's pierced. It speaks of Jesus' death on the cross, His piercing for you, His experience in the wrath of God for you. Does that make sense? It's not the fine flour would condemn you. His perfection would condemn you. But the fact that that flour was made into dough, into bread, then cooked and pierced saves us. It's showbread. It's the bread of presence. It's the bread of faces. It's before God. God's looking down on His people. You're the bread. He sees you. You belong to Him. You're in fellowship with Him. You're sitting down at the table with Him. You're having a covenant meal with Him. He's there with you. He sees you. You're looking at Him. He's looking at you. Praise God. You're fellowshipping with Him. You have a relationship with Him. You're no longer separated from Him. There's a communion. There's a fellowship. There's a relationship at the table. Not so much in our culture, but in other cultures, you go and have a meal with somebody. It's not just about sitting down and eating enchiladas. It's about sitting down and talking to him. It's about sitting down and being in their presence. It's about having fellowship or relationship with that. And so in this culture, it's about God saying, come to my table. I've prepared a table for you. Come to my table. Come to the table and dine. He's prepared life and healing and health and fellowship, relationship. And you may be lame in your feet tonight. You may have some imperfections about you. I'm not talking about being defiled by sin. I'm talking about being lame in your feet. But you can still come to the table. Mephibosheth was lame in his feet. And oftentimes a person in the church is lame in their feet. They don't understand very good because their eyesight's not real clear. But the lameness is not their own fault. The reason why many people are lame in the church is just like Mephibosheth. When Mephibosheth was a little infant, the one that was supposed to take care of him dropped him. And he became lame, not because of his own fault, but because of the fault of somebody else that was supposed to be taking care of him. But God says, uh, David is a type. He said, I'm going to show you hesed. I'm going to show you the the, uh, loving kindness of God. I'm going to show you the covenant of God. He said, If there's any, is there anybody in the house of Saul that I may show him the kindness of God? Covenant mercy. And it was found David found out that Mephibosheth was alive, that he's lame in his feet. And God said, I'm going to show you the kindness of God, the mercy of God. Hesed. That's a covenant word. I'm going to call that man that was lame, not by his own fault, but because somebody dropped him was supposed to be taking care of him. But I'm going to allow that man to come and sit at my table. He's lame. He's lame. He can't walk. But that doesn't keep him from the table. David said, "Bringing him, I'm going to show him covenant. I'm going to show him the loving kindness of God. And Mephibosheth, the Bible said, at the king's table for the rest of his life. He sat down at that table as one of the king's sons. I don't know. Can, can y'all hear me out there? I cannot hear a thing. We, I, I've got to get this taken care of. I don't care how much money I'm going to spend. I'll spend every dime I got. I can't hear a thing. Hallelujah. Can you hear me? So he's sitting at the king's table. He's got his lameness covered by the cloth. Nobody can see the lameness of Mephibosheth. And he ate as one of the king's sons for the rest of his life. Say, praise the Lord. You might be lame today, but it's not your fault. It might be that somebody that was supposed to be taking care of you dropped you. And a result of their dropping of you has caused you to be lame. But God says, come on and sit at my table. And eat the king's bread. Continue at my table. Be as one of the king's sons at one of my table. A lot of times, people when they first come to the church, when they're spiritual infants in the kingdom of God, they are mishandled. And those that should be taken care of them do not take care of them. And they become lame. They become fallen not because of their fault, but because of the people that should have been taking care of them when they were spiritually infant. When they first came in the church. So God wants you to come at His table. Say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Now, I, I, yeah, I'll just tell you this. If you're in this church tonight and you think you've been mistreated or mishandled by somebody in the kingdom of God, join the club. That is no excuse for you or for I. Not to be a priest of God and not to come at His table and sit at His table because He has provided that table for us. And when we sit there, we sit as king's sons. He looks at us as king's sons. priest, king, ministry. Say praise the, Lord. praise the Lord. God is good. That's show bread. So that that bread speaks of of God looking. (laughs) He's looking at you. You're that one bread. The eternal Spirit of God sees the the God-man, Jesus Christ, in heaven. And His finished work on your behalf. God sees, are y'all with me? The true bread, Jesus Christ. The one that died. The one that was placed in the oven. The one that went to Calvary. The one that was pierced for you. The eternal Spirit of God sees that finished work. Sees that bread. Number one, speaks of Jesus. Number two, speaks of you. He's got His eye on you. And the reason He has His eye on you, because you're in the bread of life. You're in the true bread, Christ Jesus. So when the entire Spirit looks at the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf, He sees you in that bread as one bread. He looks at you as His people in fellowship with Him. But He doesn't just see you. He sees the true bread, Jesus Christ. The One who died on your behalf. The God-Man who is ever in the presence of God making the intercession for us. How? How? By the blood he shed for you! Showing us the things of God. Real fast, let's go to the New Testament. I'm almost done. Those four legs speak of walking walking a resurrection ground as a believer, walking in this world, upheld by the eternal love of God, that ring, that band, that crown, upheld by the eternal love of God keeping you from falling. You're kept by the power of God because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. If it wasn't for Him, I would have fallen a long time ago. I'm telling you tonight, I give Him glory, I tell you. If His eternal love had not surrounded me, I would have fallen off the table a long time ago. It's His keeping power that's kept me in the church. It's His keeping power that's kept you in the church. In the Gospel, according to St. John, Jesus feeds the 5,000. He breaks the bread. In the 6th chapter, I I will not have time to look at the whole chapter, but if you take time, you'll see that the works of God are portrayed in the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John. Say, the works of God. He takes the loaves and the fish and He multiplies them. And He feeds the 5,000. And the people that are there, 5,000 plus, that's 5,000 men maybe 20, 25000 people there, fed with natural bread as they witness the manifestation of God's power as He takes that bread and those fishes and distributes it to the masses. Experiencing the works of God in their life. Let me just say this. you got a bread program. There will be hundreds follow. Jesus feeds the 5,000. They witness the works of God. And after He gets through feeding the 5,000, then He tells them the truth. He's going to let them know it's not just the natural bread that you need. It's not just the works of God that you need. What you need is the work of God in you. See, a lot of people want miracles. They want provision. They want five loaves and two fishes broken and, and feeding them naturally. But the Lord knows it's not just natural bread that we need. He knows that we need the bread of God inside of us. And it's not just the works of God that we need outwardly. It's the work of God inwardly that we need. And so after He takes care of their natural hunger with natural bread, now He speaks to them of the true bread. In the sixth chapter, He says, at verse 35, He said, it's a perfect setting, isn't it? He just fed the 5,000 with natural bread. Perfect setting. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. <laughs> See, get your eyes off that natural bread, and he says, Look at me. I'm the bread on that table. And it's more than natural bread that you need. You need spiritual bread. You need spiritual life. It's more than natural life that you need. You need to be born from above. You need the bread of heaven in your life. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. Who is? Jesus said, I am the bread, the bread of life. So the bread speaks of life and He is that bread of life. He that cometh to Me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on Me shall never thirst. If you do what? If you come to Him, you'll never hunger. If you believe on Him, you'll never thirst. Look at verse 40. And this is the will of Him that sent Me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life and I will raise Him up at the last day. So He says, I'm the true bread. And He said, what's important for you is to come to Me and to believe on Me. With me? Look at verse 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Say, believe on him. And then 48. I am the bread of life. He said, I'm not just offering you natural bread, he said, I'm offering you eternal life. And He's the only one that can produce eternal life. He's the only bread that there is an existence that can when you eat that bread, that it will give you eternal life. You can eat natural bread and have natural life, but when you partake of Jesus Christ, He will give you life that's not natural only, but eternal life. It's a spiritual thing, spiritual thing. Say amen. Amen. Look at verse 54. Uh, I'm going to back up just a little bit. All right. Let's just keep it in context. Let's keep reading. 48, he said, I'm the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness, and they are what? Dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven. that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. He just tells you He's fixing to go and die on the cross. He's fixing to be burned in the oven. He's fixing to be pierced so that He can impart eternal life to us. You see that? The Jews thereof strove among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Leviticus 17.11 says, the life of the flesh is in the blood and you're not to eat it. There's no way that these Jews would eat somebody's flesh or drink somebody's blood. Are you here? Verse 53, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink His blood, you have no life in you. What is He talking about? Coming to Him. Believing on Him. You with me? That's how you eat His flesh and drink His blood is by believing in His work of the cross. See, eating the flesh and drinking the blood is the same thing as what He's already told you in the previous verses. That's what I told you. That's why I read to you. He said, I'm the bread of life. He said, He that cometh unto Me, He said, He that believeth in Me, coming and believing in Him is the same thing as eating His flesh and drinking His blood. It's spiritual. Verse 54, Whoso eateth My flesh and drinketh My blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. For My flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. He just explains it to you. He says it's believing on him. It's coming to him. It's you being in him and he being in you. He tells you, that you are going to be born again. He's going to come and live inside of you by His Spirit. When the life of God, the Spirit of God comes in you, that's a fulfillment of the passage. Because when you get the Spirit of God, you get the blood of God. You understand that? So He is explaining to them that you're going to have to come to Him. You're going to have to believe in Him if you're going to get eternal life. Praise the Lord. And He's telling them that He's going to give His flesh. That's the bread that He said. Talking about the cross, you're going to have to believe what He accomplished on that cross for you. And when you do, He said, you're going to be in Me. Now, how do you get in Christ? Know you not that as many as were baptized into Christ have what? put on Christ, Galatians 3:26:27. So when you're baptized in Jesus name, you put on Christ. I, he says, you in me. So when you got baptized in Jesus name, you in him. And then he said, I in you. That's when you get filled with the Spirit of God. So water baptism was you in Him. Spirit baptism was Him in you. He's telling you how to experience eternal life based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. He's the true bread that came down from heaven. He's the one that's going to provide life for you. But He's going to have to go to Calvary. And you're going to have to come to Him and you're going to have to believe Him. And when you do, you're going to move inside of Him. He's going to move inside of you. It's a picture of the new birth. And that's how you eat His flesh and drink His blood. Amen. It's amen. spiritual. Amen. Say, it's spiritual. He's In fact, He goes on and tells him, He says, the words that I have spoken unto you, they are spirit and they are life. You partake of it when you believe the Word of God. Say, Amen. So verse 56, He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood. We're not talking about natural. We're not talking about cannibalism. That's right. We're talking about believing. It's and talking about having faith in Him. It's talking about being born again. Him coming to live inside of you. You're in Him. Praise God. Amen. You're the bread on the table. Praise God. You're the true body of Christ. Baptized in the, in the body of Christ. One bread. Amen. 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 You're a part of His family. But He's the true bread on the table. Right, so it speaks. the bread speaks of God and the bread speaks of you. He's the true bread on the table. He's in you. The true bread's in you. Amen. And then He looks at you as the bread. You understand? Amen. Say, if you do, if you do, say praise the Lord. Amen? Now, But these Jews thought He was talking about cannibalism. We're Jews. We'd never eat flesh and we'd never drink blood. Vatican 1711 forbids it. They missed it completely. Amen. That He was going to provide eternal life for them by the sacrifice of Himself, and that they must be born into His kingdom. They must come into His church and eat His flesh and drink His blood. Can you swallow that? Can you swallow what He's saying? Do you, he's saying, "Do you understand what I'm telling you?" Can you? Do you get it? You swallow what, what I, He said. Do you swallow that. Do you get it. Amen. Amen? So it's dwelling in Him. And He says, I in Him. As the living Father has sent Me, verse 57, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth Me, even he shall live by Me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your Father said. You're not talking about natural bread and are dead, he that eateth up this bread shall live forever. He's talking about eternal life provided through the finished work of Jesus Christ, His death. These things said He in the synagogue as He taught in Capernaum. Uh Uh-oh, what happens? Many therefore of disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying, who can hear it? When Jesus knew in Himself that His disciples murmured at it, He said unto them, Doth this offend you? What, and if you shall see the Son of Man descend up where He was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are Spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray Him. He said, therefore, and He said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto Me except it were given unto him of My Father. From that time, many of His disciples went back and walked no more with Him. Now listen. When did they leave Him? When He told them He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. The word dwell literally means to abide in Christ. He said, you're going to, not just a one-time thing, not just a one-time experience. He said, you're going to have to abide in me. And he said, I'm going to, I'll abide in you. That means it has to be a continual, ongoing experience of Christ in your life. It's not a one-time event they couldn't handle that. He was telling them what would be required of them. That they would have to become His disciple and they would have to abide in Him and He would have to abide in them and this would be a continual thing, not just a one-time thing. And when they found out what was required of them, They said, we like the works of God for us, but we don't like the work of God in us. Give us the natural bread, but don't tell us the truth. And the Bible says in 66, from that time many of His disciples went back and walked no more with Him. That means they did not continue to abide in Him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve. Oh! Unto the what? To the twelve. So these twelve loaves do not only speak of the twelve tribes of Israel, they speak of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Listen. When Aaron and the priests partook of that bread, they partook of that bread in behalf of the whole nation. The twelve apostles of the Lamb, when they preached the message of salvation in the book of Acts, they were bringing the bread to the world. That twelve is sitting on that table. Those twelve apostles, the doctrine of the apostles, is what brings the rest of us into the kingdom of God. You hearing what I'm saying to you? And what do they preach? Acts 2.38 Repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. There's the blood. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. There's the Spirit. That's the life of God. The life of the flesh is the blood. He poured out the life of man on the cross. The life of God is His Spirit. He poured out the life of God, His Spirit on the day of Pentecost you apply the blood by baptism. You receive His Spirit. Him coming inside of you when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Do you understand these things? Say, praise the Lord. That was the message of the twelve. So we have some that do not want to follow the requirements. Abide in Him, dwell in Him, or continue in Him. Then Peter answered Him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray Him, being one of the twelve. So the Lord is explaining to you faith in Him, believing in Him, coming to Him, continuing in Him. His dwelling in you and your dwelling in Him is a requirement for eternal life. It puts you in that one bread called the church so that you stand in the presence of God presenting the finished finished work on your behalf. Presenting the bread, bringing the bread. And then you eat the bread, which speaks of life that He's provided for you. Healing and health and fellowship and communion with God. No broken relationship. All based on the finished work of the cross. Say amen. Amen. Isn't God good? So now we go forth as a king priest ministry with the emblems of the finished work. And we present Him to the world and we say that Jesus died for you. He rose again the third day. He was buried. He rose again the third day. If you'll believe, if you'll come to Him, if you'll be born again, get in Him and He in you. You will experience eternal life which that bread speaks of. Isn't that an awesome thing? If you believe it, say praise the Lord. Lord. Last thing I'll tell you is the Lord's Supper. When we take the Lord's Supper, we are taking the emblems of the finished work. We don't literally take His blood and literally take His flesh when we take the Lord's Supper. That table is the Lord's table. It's governed and it's ruled by Him and it's provided by Him in the wilderness of this world and in the presence of your enemies. And when you come and take of that bread and that fruit of the vine, it speaks of His broken body for you, for your healing, It speaks of His blood that was shed for you, a covenant meal. That blood provides the remission of sins, forgiveness of sins. And you sat down at that table and you look back and you remember what He did for you at the cross as a priest unto God, in fellowship with the Lord, in communion with the Lord, experiencing His life, having experienced His life, His healing and health. Enjoying what God has provided for you. But every time you come and take this table, it doesn't save you over and over. It is the emblem of what He did for you on the cross. And we're looking forward to the day. He's looking forward to it when He will eat with us in heaven. This meal is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. That Lord's Supper looks back to Calvary. It looks now at His resurrection life and what He's provided for the church, what's in the church right now, to a priest-king ministry. And it looks forward when He will return and take the church out and we'll sit down and meet with Him the marriage supper of the Lamb. It speaks of fellowship, communion, covenant, healing, health, and life. You are in the presence of the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank You tonight for Your goodness and Your mercy and Your grace. Help us, God, to understand everything that You have done for us. As you illuminate that table by your Spirit, you are God who is light. You are God who is love. You are God who's provided salvation for us. We thank You, Lord, tonight for Your presence that is here. We are feasting on You, Lord, tonight. Feasting on Your presence. Feasting on Your life. And as we do, Lord, we offer incense of prayer and praise and singing. Thank you for bringing us into spiritual Pentecost. 120 loaves on 10 tables in the temple. Thank you for providing for us in the wilderness life and healing and health, nourishment, communion fellowship. Thank you for upholding us in the wilderness. Thank you for preparing a table for us in the presence of our enemies. We give you all glory and all honor and all praise. Lord, shine the light of illumination on the table. Give us understanding of the bread and the wine that's on that table. This salvation You have provided for us in the death of Your Son, who is not just a man, but God. Father, we leave tonight holding on to the promise that You will return, You will rapture Your bride, and we will eat with You the marriage supper of the Lamb. And as we do, Lord, the bowls of wrath and the bowls of judgment Will fall upon the earth upon those who have rejected that table and that cup. Let us be ready, Lords. Let us prepare our hearts tonight. Cleanse us with your blood, if there be any wicked way in us. Search us, O God. Cleanse us, Lord, we pray, from every evil thought and every evil word and every evil action. Let us be clean. In Jesus' name. In Acts chapter 2 and verse... Forty two in the church age, and they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine and Fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. As I've taught you before, the Apostles' Doctrine is the basis of our fellowship. The breaking of bread explains that fellowship, and the prayers sustain and maintain it. So we come together, we break the bread by preaching to you the Word of God, which is the bread of God, and also by taking the Lord's Supper. We declare manifest that communion and that fellowship that He has provided for us with Himself and with each other. God bless you. You are dismissed In Jesus' name.